What's up, guys? It's your boy on the DMTG, Anurag Das, at it again with episode two of Elo Punters. In the booth, we've got Bob Wong and Daniel Goshel. Hello. Good afternoon, guys. How's it going? Happy, what day is this coming out? Thursday? Happy Thursday. Hey, everybody. Hopefully, it comes out Thursday. Uh, Anurag has delayed our recording by you know a few hours so okay look i had a lot of stuff to do today i went to this mediterranean restaurant and i got some really nice falafel and then they had really good mint tea and it's not my fault and then i went to the grocery store i got some honey and i got some cinnamon i'm gonna try to make some really like nice coffee dude we know the real reason you you you, you played a prelim and you made all the rounds go to time and so it took an extra hour <laughs> oh god well, i guess we'll talk we'll talk about this uh We'll talk about this later in the episode, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll get along with the 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 rigmarole. Got it. That is such a weird word. Say that like five times fast. The rigmarole of things. Uh, so for the introduction, I'd like to go ahead and thank out our new patrons uh, for the past two weeks. We've got Brian, Arthur, Liz, Thomas, Andreas, Kyle, Hunter, Demontis, Caleb, Danny. Frankie, Matt, Marcus, Justin, and Ken. And then a special thank you to John, Baiju, and Jacob, who are in the $10 tier. Whoop, 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 whoop. That's awesome, guys. Your support is nuts. And it actually transitions pretty good because what do we use these funds for? Well, we use them to pay our editor. So I'd like to introduce our editor, Liz. Um, we'll have her socials somewhere. Plug them. Yeah. And um, yeah, you're right. And uh, that's awesome. Also, uh, please tweet at or PM us to have any of us play a league uh, of your deck. So this goes to John, Baiju, and Jacob. Just tweet us. Uh, you have each successfully earned a coupon for me to play a deck on stream, and I will snaggle Bob or Daniel to play it with me. And uh, we will we will do your deck justice, or maybe we'll just galactically fail. That's okay, too. But uh, on to Patreon updates, yeah. Uh, so we do have a new editor, Liz. Um, is it Eli of the Veil? Vale? Is that right? Uh, she has a Twitter. It is at Eli of the Vale. Yeah, Eli of the Vale. Okay, nice. Sorry if I maybe pronounced it wrong. Um, but that's that's awesome. So expect these these uh, podcasts to be crisp, clean, and also much better sounding because Daniel's got a new mic, which we're all really hyped about. Um, we do have, in terms of Patreon content, got some new videos that I posted up there. So one was uh, a Legacy Prelim with Four Color Miracles in Legacy. And then... Um, Another was the Underworld Breach combo deck. So that's that's something that we're going to talk about on this episode. And it was pretty exciting. You can definitely watch those videos if you are at the $3 level or higher or whatever. And then Bob and Daniel are working on some content, right, uh, for SCG Richmond? Yep. Uh, we're going to be playing together, so we'll have deck guides for whatever deck we end up deciding on, which uh, sounds like both of us are still figuring that out. I don't even know what format yeah. I'm playing yet. So and I also we'll, might we'll do one for uh, Bant Miracles. I've been playing a lot in Legacy, but uh, yeah. Ooh, you're going to well, steal Honor like Thunder. Wow. You're going to do me like that, huh, Daniel? I see. I see. Well, well, Honor, you said you had your Miracles Guide coming out, but I don't see it, so. Yeah, so this is this is going to take like a long time. It's going to take like a year to write. It's like an autobiography. I'll just do like. the Oko one uh, before he's banned so that people can... <laughs> <laughs> chapter right. 1 through 40 will be about sensei's top oh my goodness yes spin oh no chapter yeah exactly that'd be perfect and then chapter 41 through chapter 60 will be my reactions to the top ban and just like a almost a poem uh but anyways because i'm starting to sound weird let's talk about updates dude bob where you been where you been so unfortunately i haven't gotten to play as much magic but it's because i've been on vacation i just got uh back from vacation yesterday actually so i went to puerto rico and i almost got stranded there so you guys might have heard about like the earthquakes there were some pretty big earthquakes um so i was really worried about that but i ended up going anyways and we ended up taking a ferry from the main island to a tiny little island called vieque but who's we and then um it was me and a few of my friends my associates and we got, almost got stranded in the tiny little island because the waves got way too big. There was a big upwelling. So we had to take, like, we had to charter a five-person plane to get back. Wait, so, associates? You mean you invited Daniel but not me? Uh, I will not disclose who I invited on this Ooh, scandalous. Trip to Puerto Rico. Okay, but so you're I on this tiny uh, island. The plane was nice, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe I'll, I'll put it, put it, post it, like, some pictures of my trip. Uh, on Patreon, so you'll you'll have to subscribe to see them. They're very. Um, and then you'll find out special. if I went with him but, or uh, uh, 
who went? Who did he associate with? <laughs> yeah, Bob yeah. says he wasn't playing Magic, but he secretly got the tech from, uh, from Puerto Rico that he's going to be using in Richmond. Is that the story? <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Puerto Rican through the breach or underworld breach. Nice. Yeah, so Puerto Rico was awesome. Um, Vieques was especially awesome. There were wild horses there, so took some pictures with that. Uh, which, by the way, I've put some Tully content on our Patreon. You guys are still lagging on your doggo content, so we don't really want to let our patrons down with respect to dog content, so true. get on it. Puppies are great. Uh, Daniel, have you been doing anything? Um, well, I'm going to the Grand Prix New Jersey this weekend. I'm driving with a few of my friends, and... Um, so I've mostly just been playing Limited. The new set came out, so I was trying to get a grasp on it. It's kind of like a weird set. Well, it's not weird, but, you know, it's just trying to get a grasp on it. So I've mostly been doing that. Do you think it's um, a good format? I've definitely been enjoying it so far. Like, one thing about Sealed is I like when you show a pool and different people build it differently. And I think definitely this format, like, when you show someone a pool, different people build it differently. So in that way, at least, it's uh, been interesting. And I, it's, it's Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes it much more of, like, an intel intellectual... Uh, assignment of sorts yeah the, it, the there's one thing that's kind of awkward about it that i don't want to talk about limited too much is the the rares there's like a lot of 10 out of 10 rares and a lot of like zero out of 10 rares so it can make like sealed like a bit more high variance like some sets have a lot of good rares so it's like uh like the rares are similar power level but now there's a lot of like instability in it but it's, it's definitely been interesting and the draft's interesting i also played a, a bit of legacy like a couple weeks ago like when there's a legacy ptq so that's why i was playing a lot of bant miracles for that nice yeah and on my end i also have been playing a decent bit of magic lately just just hanging out i actually flew to santa clara where i joined the cfb game center in hosting uh, or not hosting but uh, just doing coverage for uh, the 3K that took place, and that was that was an awesome experience. Uh, just you know, hanging out with a bunch of my NorCal friends, uh, we we got to see some pretty insane games of Magic. Uh, my boy Spencer Wong, aka Twin Dom, he made uh, the top four of this event. Shoutouts. Uh, so that was pretty exciting. And then otherwise, I haven't really been doing too much different. You know, just been like streaming, chilling, trying to get some more content on YouTube, especially for the Patreon. One thing that I have actually gotten really like obsessed with lately, though, is um, paper streaming. Like just streaming my locals in San Diego. Um, I'm looking into gear to buy. Uh, I was just like inspired by the CFB 3K stream, so now I'm looking for like technology to get to set up like a you know a portable rig for streaming paper events nearby and afar and whatever so oh, i guess one thing cool. to add that was pretty cool is one of the guys who i'm driving with isaac crute uh he's like a russian guy who lives in toronto now he's like a super good magic player he actually just queued for back to back the arena invitational thing like that you have to go like 10-1 or 10-0 in so he played the one that was like in december like the one that uh canister won and then he just uh, was playing again and went like 10-1 so that was just like wow that's insane so maybe he'll give me some of the uh, secret tips, you know, the on, secret on the intel? drive over. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but that's pretty cool. I mean, that 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 there's a lot going on. I guess we'll all give you updates as we keep going. And maybe Bob goes back to Puerto Rico and and this time actually gets stranded. And then I don't know. We'll we'll find out. We'll find a lookalike. Maybe Tully can join the cast instead. But one thing that we do need from you guys though is feedback, right? So I we definitely got a couple pieces of feedback but um, you know just stir the pot let us know what you guys think um, you know you tell us what we need to do better we'll do it better for you, you guys have any thoughts on any of the the comments that we make regarding the cards and decks and metagames you know we'll address it looking forward to that but uh, without further ado uh, yeah so in terms of feedback to where should they give us feedback oh, I forgot dude that's a really leading question it's almost like you know the answer to this question <laughs> well, all right, I'll, I'll answer it then. Um, so there's going to be a couple places. I think easiest will be um, just basically adding us on Twitter at Elopunters or sending us a private message. Uh, we're also going to probably, at least for now, we're going to post um, whenever we do an episode on r slash MTG Legacy. We're going to try to do at least have the first half of most of our podcasts be legacy focused. And then the second half will be like a different topic, whether it be, you know, Pioneer or Modern. So that's what I think is the structure uh, for at least the first few podcasts. And we'll kind of get our feet under us and see what people like. Nice. Um, so yeah, with that, let's move on to the first topic, which is legacy. So this past weekend, there was a PTQ that was won by Grixis Delver by our good friend Topher Stitson. 
Um, there's also a legacy challenge with tons of spice. Uh, like literally this weekend, I think, I don't know if I've seen like a spicier deck dump from these two events than any given week. Um, so overall, the metagame was five Grixis Delver, two Blue Red Delver, and this is from both the PTQ and the challenge, uh, two Blue Red Delver, uh, two Bug Delver, two Moon Stompy, two Eldrazi Stompy, two Green Red Lands. So those are kind of the decks that did the best. And then other than that, there's a bunch of one-off decks that I'm not going to call out all of them, but I will say there was a Slivers deck. There was our friend Jeff, who had just won a challenge the weekend prior with Esper Vile. So uh, curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that deck, because it, at first I was joking that it was a steaming pile, but like it definitely has to have some game with it uh, to it since he's been putting up pretty consistent results. Um, so yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on on the first spicy deck, uh, Esper Vile? Wait, didn't Jeff not only win the challenge but also top eight the PTQ? Yeah, he top well, so he won the challenge the weekend prior and then top eight the PTQ this past weekend. Yeah, so that means there's definitely something there, right? Like, I I mean, I just feel like you're playing a bunch of really powerful cards. Um, Meddling Mage is the one that actually overperformed when I played against this deck. I mean, I'm obviously coming from like a control role or like this combo role or whatever now. And I think just like Meddling Mage being in play on Swords to Plowshares is very powerful. And then, you know, you just get to stack your Meddling Mages and just slowly like choke your opponent out to the point where like they aren't able to, I don't know, just like interact with any of the creatures on the board, right? Like the creatures look really dweeby, like when you play with them by themselves, but I think there's just like the DNT element where it's just like the longer the game goes, the stronger the chokehold becomes, and that's what's terrifying about this deck. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned meddling mage, but what are some other advantages you feel this deck has over traditional? Well, I mean, looking taxes? at the well, oh, I was just gonna yeah, say go like the most powerful thing about the deck I was gonna say is Acer Vile. Obviously, that's not different from Destin Taxes. But you gotta play an Acer Vile deck with Brainstorm. It looks like there's a Ponder and a Force of Will. Like Acer Vile is like such a good card. If you play that card on turn one, it's like almost better than Black Lotus. Like it makes so much mana every turn. Like that card is just so so powerful. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and I guess you have Brainstorms to find it. You also play Force of Will, which or like Brainstorms to have. pitch it away. Yeah. You get access to blue cards. Uh, you kind of forgo like the Mana Denial plan of Wasteland and Rishadon Port. And say, okay, uh, I just want to play like Force of Wills, Brainstorms, and Blue Creatures instead. Like you, you, you cut out the. And I think one of the big, bigger things. I was just gonna say you cut out the mana denial plan. Oh, you cut, you the cut mana out the denial way. plan. Like there's no Thalias, there's no Rishadon ports, there's no Wastelands. Yeah, um, and I, and I think in exchange for that, like rather than having the denial aspect, you sort of become like much more like value packed. Like if you look at Jeff's list from. Uh, uh, the 18th or whatever. That's the premier event, right? Um, he's got mm -hmm. four Baleful Stricks. That's really cool. Four recru Recruiter of the Guard. Each of these eight creatures are very good at replacing themselves and searching up whatever utility creatures you need. But to do that, he's also got, you know, the Charming Prince to Flicker, the Flicker Wisp to Flicker. And then I think one of my favorite cards in this deck is actually just the two copies of Soul Herder. That thing seems insanely powerful in this list. Um, so this goes back to sort of like, you're trying to develop a chokehold with cards like Meddling Mage and then other main deck, you know, just... It's like a different variation of Hatred, I guess, right? Because you've got, like, Plague Engineer in the list. You've got Remorseful Cleric, things like Brazen Borrower. Those are all really cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, being able to leverage all of these value effects to sort of deploy to the board and then keep your hand, like, constantly filled with gas. Like, you know, I was playing a, a, another game uh, versus this deck with Ved, and we were just looking at our hand, and then somehow, inexplicably, like, it was turn, like, five, and we had, like, two cards, and then our opponent had, like, four, and they had a full board, too, and we're just like, when? how did this exactly happen? So this is kind of a phenomenon that I guess, you know, more more gameplay experience can probably dictate, but I think this core engine with, uh, you know, the recruiters, the Strixen, and uh, the Flicker effects is, like, really what, like, catapults this deck into action um mm -hmm. yeah okay cool let's move on to the next cool deck that i saw so this is svaka who is tomas mar uh, he was basically known for um check pile and then he started playing five color snow it looks like he's moved back towards check pile so this is a list with zero basics and a couple new cards from theros uh two clothis god of destiny it is a three mana god one a red and a green indestructible if your devotion is less 
than seven. It's not a creature. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, exile a card from a graveyard. If it was a land, add red or green. Otherwise, drain for two. So very similar to Deathrite Shaman. Uh, basically, you know, the two abilities, it's it's also a four or five, by the way. The two abilities, you're either, um, you're definitely exiling a card and you're either adding mana or you're draining your opponent. So it's kind of like a weird Deathrite in that Instead of costing one mana, it costs three. But in exchange, it's almost it's much harder to kill, and you also don't need to activate. Uh, you don't need to spend mana to activate it on future turns. You just get one free activation per turn. But then on the other hand, you know it's pretty hard to like attack and block with it. But I guess death right was not really useful. Can I add a one thing about Jeff's deck? Yeah. Though, just but I just wanted to add one last thing about Jeff's deck. I do think that I mean looking at it. It looks like you have these trump cards for creature decks like Palace Jailer and the Baleful Strix engines and stuff. And then Meddling Mage is just insane against spell decks. And then you kind of feel like a prison deck in that way where you just, if they're playing creatures, you use Palace Jailer to just take over. And if they're playing spells, you just use Meddling Mage. Like, that's kind of how I'm making sense of it. But uh, back to the, this deck. Yeah, that makes sense. Back to the Clothis. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think of Clothis? Does it look good? I, w- I wonder if it was good for him. I don't understand this card. I just don't get it. Like, okay, it's indestructible. I think it's suddenly hard to kill. Like, in a format that's basically dominated by Oko Thief of Crowns, this card is basically untouchable. But then what? Like, it's inevitability? Like, I don't really well, know. Well, draining for two a turn is, like, pretty strong. Like, you can think of it as true name nemesis, Well, well imagine if they right? have a Delver of mm-hmm. Secrets in play and you have this in play. Like, you kind of stabilize and are winning. You see what I mean? That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm underestimating the impact of the gain two, deal two, um, every every pre-combat main phase. I mean, I guess it's it's limited by, you know, the amount of cards in each graveyard, but I would assume in, like, a format like Legacy, that's not really something to really worry about. Plus, I mean, it's Tomas Mar, right? He's probably got cards like Hinbatorok and things like that that he's going to be able to to fuel um, this 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 god of destiny. But I, I think one interesting thought to think about is like, why do you think he cut white, right? Because the fifth color gives you so much, um, gives you Astrolabe, which is nuts. It gives you Teferi, and it gives you Swords to Plowshares. All of these are really really powerful cards. Do you think the mana base is what caused him to like step away from it? I mean, uh, yeah, it's, he, he's playing like him to Turok. I'm not, I'd probably play Astrolabe in this deck. I don't know if that would be wrong, or but like if I was going to pick up this deck, I'd definitely try it. But actually, I found Teferi wasn't that great. I mean, I, I played the Bant deck, and I had two Teferi for a long, long time, and then I finally cut them, and I found that I was preferring that, but it's definitely a powerful card. Um, but I don't think it's like a sacred cow, like, uh, just like you must have it if you have white. But I mean, when you play him to Turok, adding the white, and also Colossus is a bit similar to Plow in that it helps you deal with problematic creatures, even though it's not exactly the same. But it just seems he doesn't yeah. need the white effects. Like, the white effects you get are like Rest in Peace, Containment Priest, Swords to Plowshares, Fairy, and doesn't seem like his list is that lacking in it, though. I'm not sure about the Astrolabe myself. Personally, I, I would probably play it, but I don't know exactly. Yeah, I mean, Tomas mm-hmm. has a history of being like, extremely greedy. Uh, just He says, like, all of my cards are individually better than all of your cards. My mana base is just going to be whatever it needs to be to sustain this. I'm going to beat you because my cards are better than yours, which is definitely an approach to deck building. And, I mean, I personally look at that and I kind of, like, I my, my, my stomach, like, you know, turns over. It's I'm not happy with that yeah. kind of thing. What's crazy to me is he plays two Wastelands in this list and he doesn't even have, like, you know, before it made a little bit of sense because you had Renin Six, um, just to go the full greed route, and sometimes you can waste lock your opponent too. But his deck, it, the wastelands are like not that great at casting spells. Like it literally casts Clothis, Snapcaster Mage, Oko, and Jace, and then every other spell is like double color requirement. He has Abrupt Decay, Drown in the Lock, him to Turok. Yeah. So I think he's kind of just a little bit um, quirky from that perspective, and he's been able to do well with it. So. Uh, I think what basically he always just plays extra lands. Yeah, but, well, too. Uh, I was just gonna say Colossus could be pretty nice uh, against this Lumen deck. Like I was looking at the Wasteland. Like I was thinking it's like utility against this mm-hmm. Nebs deck. But I mean the the Exile card from a Graveyard is like pretty relevant in, in Legacy. Like this card seems pretty strong to me in the in the context of Legacy. I'm not sure about the specific deck, but yeah. the card does seem like pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's let's move on to the the elephant in the room. Uh, for Theros Beyond Death in terms of legacy, and it is Underworld Breach. Uh, it's one in a red for basically Yogmoth's Will. It's an enchantment that gives every non-land card in your graveyard escape 
the escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost, plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. At the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Underworld Breach. And so there are three completely different decks that played this card to good results this weekend. There was the PVDH uh, Grixis Breach Delver deck. There was another um, kind of four-color Storm deck. And then finally, there was also the craziest of them all, I think, uh, and all three of these were pretty crazy, uh, was the Riddlesmith Overall Chase Daredevil Martin Medmitten uh, also Storm deck. So, Anurag, I know you, you've already also started playing Breach. Um, tell us about your experiences with it and like what you think of the card as well as like what version of Breach you tried. Yeah, so this is sort of like a small story because I can't explain it in just one one part, but the first the first chapter of the story is kind of just my frustration with Miracles right now in the metagame. I think... Um, so I've been playing Band Miracles, you know, just as, since it's whatever it, <laughs> recent inception with Astrolabe and things like that, and playing Miracles before then. But every time I try to find an opportunity to switch away from it, I always find myself drawn back to it. And this time, um, this sounds like an AA meeting. You're like, "Hi guys, I'm Anurag Das, and I used to play Miracles." Dude, yeah, that's that's definitely me. Like, if I wasn't married to my wife, I'd definitely be married to this deck. Like, it's one or the other. And I mean, <laughs> married to the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, my, my general frustration with this deck is that there are just like some matchups that just seem like hopeless, right? And they're so prevalent on Magic Online, which is, I mean, I will talk about this maybe a little bit more, but it's just like the primary way to get my legacy fix, right? And and, and I mean, like, I get paired up against things like Cloud Post all the time. I get paired up things against like Hogak. So in my PTQ, I got I got the I lost the matchup lottery and I just battled against Hogak twice and lost uh, both times, even though I had cards like Leyland of the Void in my sideboard for this event. Um, and then just like other matchups, like even the snow mirror seems like it's like very, very close, but there's no way to really gain a true edge or at least I'm working on that. Um, do you mean like snow white versus snow black? No, just like snow white versus snow white or <laughs> snow white versus snow black or just in general, you know what I mean? Like the ice thing mirrors, I guess. Um, okay. so this deck right now, four color is just kind of in a limbo. Um, you can obviously chill, check out the the video that I posted on the Patreon. That might explain a little bit of, you know, where I'm at and how I'm feeling about it. But in the meantime, though, you know, Underworld Breach got printed. And, you know, the day of the PTQ, you know, Daniel and I were talking and Daniel was like, I'm really scared of this deck. I'm really scared of this deck. Did, wait, actually explain that, Daniel. Why were you so afraid of this deck going into the tournament? Also, specify which version of the deck. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So... Yeah, yeah, do that too, do that too. No, I was just going to say, because it was a new deck that uh, I didn't really know how it worked, and I could easily see it being, like, really strong, but I didn't want to switch out of Miracles. Like, I was, I've been playing a bit of Miracles that week, though I actually found uh, with some of Onurag's statements, I don't know, like, I didn't feel that bad against decks like Cloud Post or the or Hogak even. Like, I don't know, maybe it's kind of bad. Like, I, I have four Ley Lines, so, like, I play a bunch of Rest in Pieces, because I feel like... You, wait, you played... Leyline and no, no, I just played four Ley Lines, but I mean, I could see it being worse than Rest in Peace. I could talk about that a bit later, like Leyline versus Rest in Peace, because it's kind of weird. But I feel like... Wow, people are playing Leyline and Miracle? Yeah, I played four so Leyline. Yeah. Well, should I... I have a theory about Leyline, by the yeah, way. My quick theory was just that I felt like if I'm playing against a deck like Black Red Reanimator, Rest in Peace isn't that effective, and I need a lot of early plays. But Surgical's not that effective against Hogak or Dredge-type decks. So I just put four ley lines. It's really bad with the cantrips because as soon as you keep a hand, like your deck is almost not functional anymore. You have so many draw spells and you have nothing to draw into. Basically, it's kind of weird. Though I, I did uh, hard cast ley line a few times with the astrolabes, but it, it's basically like <laughs> trying to say I want to be black red and I want to be hogak and I don't care. I'll just mulligan to it. And also like it can dodge stuff yeah. like abrupt decay and whatever. And it does make your average draw steps worse, but you still have brainstorms in your deck, and you can just play it. Like, it's because of Oko is so busted, it's part of the reason you can get away with it, because you can just play Oko and it doesn't matter. Like, you just win the game. Yeah. I actually, that that's, that's it's so interesting that you say that, because uh, in the PTQ, I actually recall in both of my uh, Hogak matchups, I mulligan to four in both of my game twos to find Leyline of the Void. I play it on turn one. My opponent literally just did, they didn't know I was bringing in the ley line, so I'm guessing they just didn't have an answer for it. And then like on turn three, four, five, I play like men, uh, sorry not mentor, uh, Oko, and I just make three threes and the game is over. But my my problem with the card is is that even after winning game two in this kind of fashion, we go into game three and it's just like. Um, we go into game. They bring their answers. Yeah, they bring in force of vigor, and I think that's the big thing that I'm I'm like really like 
not enthused about with uh, with this card is that the answer to Leyline of the Void is Force of Vigor, and Force of Vigor is just so extremely mana efficient that like it's impossible to like develop a board state where you can actually deploy your hate piece and then have protection for it in the form of like Veil of Summer or Force of Will or Flusterstorm. You don't get that setup time that you really need, right? Like and 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 like as a graveyard player, you know that if their answer is Leyline, you just mulligan to your Force of Vigor because you have to get it off the table. Well, you know what I mean? Like you you can't just yeah, I, I was gonna say I don't think it's that easy. Like first of all, Force of Vigor it takes two cards, so it's like really hard for them to mulligan. Like Hogak, it's not like Dredge where they can just build a lot of resources out of nothing. Like that's one of the, the th reasons why like Dredge can be nicer than Hogak. Like Hogak kind of needs more resources to get going. It needs an amount of spells to start rolling. Like obviously once you have, if you just resolve an altar, that can just like as one card like get your whole deck milled out if you have any random creature in play. But like if you don't have altar, you really need a lot of resources to start going. And, um, like, it, it's always kind of scary, but from their side of the board, imagine if you're playing Hogak, like, and your opponent has four Ley Lines, like, you're just not going to have Force of Vigor and a functional hand like that. The deck has so many non-functional hands, you only have a few looting cards, you have so many cards that want to be milled. And also, Oak, I, I'm playing Entreat the Angels, I don't know if you're also playing that, but that just meant that, like, if I buy time, I can just slam Entreat and win. I was also playing Accumulated Knowledge, so, like, I was, like, if... Like, I'm not that scared. Like, if they kill my ley line and I can just buy time, like, or Oko can just win the game very quickly. Like, obviously, if they kill your ley line, you don't do anything, and then they just go, like, go off, you're going to lose. But, like, what's your plan to beat that anyway? So, like, like it's very hard. So, ley line just helps you buy so much time. Like, I wasn't that scared of that from the Hogak decks, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense, and I, and I see where you're coming from. I just... I feel like maybe like diversifying my like Leyline is good because it's mana efficient, but I don't actually think it's as resilient as I wish it was. Whereas something like Rest in Peace plus like Veil of Summer or something like that would maybe uh, maybe be good enough. I actually here, but here's the one takeaway though, right? Like, doesn't matter what kind of graveyard hate I'm playing, I do feel like I actually need pressure on the board whether that comes in the form of oko whether that comes in the form of monastery mentor i need bodies on the board to take advantage of the fact that my opponent isn't able to really leverage their deck properly what's ended up happening is like in a lot of games i'll, I'll have my graveyard hate but then because i have you know no uh i mean like i'll have oko but sometimes oko just doesn't even seem like it's fast enough in certain situations or especially when we're like top decking i guess um it, in these sort of situations, it's just like they just beat down with like creatures and and you know they they cast like venge vines and things like that, like hard cast venge vines and things like that. And it's 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 not as it's not the kind of like way you would expect the game to play out. But you know when their deck isn't really doing anything and when your deck struggles to really interact with some of the stuff that they're doing, like I guess it does become something of like a uh, you know cripple fight or whatever, where you're just like both slinging mud at each other and not in the best ways. So well, I think. But anyways, I was, yeah, just gonna, uh, I was just going to say, like, you have to use your mana because if you just play your, put your Leyland in play, you mulligan super low and you can't use your mana to develop any board, you can just die to random beats. But if you have, like, a couple of lands and you can cast spells, like the, uh, like Accumulated Knowledge, Oko, I was sideboarding to Monastery Mentor and it would be useful against decks like that when you uh, just need, like, random bodies to survive. And I was also playing for Oko so I could try and have access to it a lot. And then your your cards are just gonna be a lot better. Like obviously it's kind of awkward. Like if you can't use your mana, and that's that's I would talk about it later if we if we were to talk about it more in depth. Like cards like Terminus, which are so awkward because when you draw them, like playing reactive cards is so punishing. In like especially in the current text uh, format of Legacy, like you always have to be able to be proactive, but you also need access to these reactive cards. So it makes like a card like Terminus, like you can just lose if you have if you don't have ways to develop yourself to pull ahead on resources and your opponent's just like okay sitting there and you have like nothing like force of will fluster storm terminus in hand. It makes it really awkward. I mean that's yeah. that's part of the reason I used to like Stone Blade so much was because instead of Terminus you basically just played Stone Forge. But um th that's kind of an awkward thing about miracles. Like having to play so many reactive cards is just inherently really awkward because then you're just in a lot of spots where you're not doing anything because you have so many spells that aren't proactive. Okay, so sounds like basically we talked a little bit about Leyline of the Void and Miracles and how it is against Hogak. I also played Leyline in my Delver deck, and I thought it was pretty strong against Hogak. Maybe it was even better because you already you always had these proactive things like Arcanist, Delver. You also had days to protect your Leylines a little bit better, so maybe it worked a little bit better in the Delver decks. But I think one trend that's somewhat interesting is that like I think Lands is making a comeback. So. This past weekend, there were four different lands decks 
that did well. Two of them were green-red. There was a green-blue lands list with Oko, and then there was even a green-black lands list um, by Kellen. So I think like if everybody's moving to Leyline, nobody's playing Surgical, Like it actually makes a lot of sense to go back and play lands too. So I don't know. I think the meta is definitely developing, and it might just be like cycling through if everybody's playing Leyline versus Surgical, like what's better, Hogak or lands. So I, th- I think that's kind of like a thing that's going on in the background of the Legacy metagame. Yeah. That's a kind of cool observation because, like, if you think about it, like, Legacy never really moved, has never really moved this fast before, right? I think there's just, like, a really recent influx of, like, relevant cards in the in the metagame as well as, I guess, uh, just being able to play this online in all these, like, relevant events. Like, prelims are actually meaningful events because they, they actually matter in the grand scheme of things and all the PTQs and the challenges and things like that. But what I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about real quick was like, so, I mean, you get my diatribe on like, what's my relationship with Miracles right now. What does this have to do with Underworld Breach though, right? Um, so actually the event, the the PTQ itself, Stefan, um, AKA Cedrus, AKA, you know, uh, Mental Misstep on Magic Online, played the Underworld Breach deck and has been testing it since. And, you know, he showed me the list and we talked, we've talked about it a little bit. And I'm not gonna lie, there's some there's like a little bit of a charm to underworld breach right it's just such a powerful card if once you like play with a little, a little bit you get an idea of like some of these absurd things that you're actually capable of doing and so for the time being i'm just like playing underworld breach so that i can like learn a little bit more about it and see if it like i don't know just like is an actual competitive deck while i take a break from miracles that kind yeah, of thing he, he told me he felt one of the things he fears the most uh, playing the deck was like karn the great creator and it's true if you're playing that kind of a mm-hmm. deck you're just not going to have great tools to combat sto- stony silence effect and like in a chalice of the void deck obviously it's not like a bad or like unwinnable or i don't know even how bad it is but that's just like a card that's naturally just good against the lion's eye diamond strategy and Karn's kind of an obscene card. Yeah. Well, okay, so Daniel, tell us about Stefan's list. Is it, like, similar to Ant, or, or what's going well, on? Well, he was that? playing, like, the white list. Uh, I don't know that much about the Breach decks, but I, I have looked at them a bit. I haven't played with any of them. He was just playing, like, Enlightened Tutor, and he had, like, a little bit of a package, like, a little bit of artifacts and enchantments, um, stuff like Serenity and the sideboard. Um, yeah, so basically, I mean, like, let's look at it like big picture, right? The Underworld Breach combo deck, what is it trying to do? It's a three-card combo. So you're leveraging Underworld Breach, you're leveraging Lion's Eye Diamond, and you're leveraging the card Brain Freeze. So the way it works is when you get Breach in play, you play LED, you sack your hand, and you put like a couple, like five cards in the graveyard or whatever, right? Then you're able to use the mana that you get from LED to cast the Brain Freeze in the graveyard, target yourself you mill at least six cards and you can use these six cards to recast the LED and to recast Brain Freeze and you rinse and repeat targeting yourself till you mill your deck out or you know you can target your opponent at some point in time um, but you have Thassa's Oracle in the deck as like a terminal win condition so you can put it into play once you've milled yourself and then you know you win the game that way. Um, Stefan's very specific list though he he does have the Enlightened Tutor package like you mentioned and it's kind of cool because E-Tutor is able to get all three parts of the combo right? It's able to get underworld bridge it's able to able to get lion's eye diamond and it's able to get okay well no it can't get brain freeze because that's an instant but um there's this really cool card that got printed a long time ago you know veterans will know about it it's called grinding station and it it functionally does what brain freeze does in the deck except that you can e-tutor for it as well so that that's pretty cool um otherwise he's got a couple like main deck one ofs like seal of removal seal of cleansing uh orum's chant and pact of negation are cool one ofs but all in all, it's still going to be like your brainstorm ponder preordained deck with uh, you know just combo pieces and things like that. I think what's really interesting about this deck, and I guess what I've been struggling to put into words, so I'm going to give it my best shot right now, is why? What makes this deck good? You know, like why does this deck deserve a spot in the legacy format? Why does it not just get like, you know, why is playing sneak attack just not a better option or playing storm a better option, right? And my ultimate takeaway, and I think Daniel was astute, he mentioned this almost immediately, but it's, it's just that your combo piece is a two-mana spell, right? Because LED doesn't, doesn't cost anything, and then Brain Freeze functionally also doesn't cost anything because you're using the LED to cast it. Um, so you just need to resolve your two-mana Underworld Breach, and that means with extra mana, you're capable of doing so much more. Um, specifically... For a deck as fragile as this, where you know you know any 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 uh, graveyard hate in general can like you know mess you up really hard, um, 
you get to play so many answers out of the sideboard to, to sort of answer this. And like, you get like wear tears, serenities, chain of vapors, that kind of stuff for you know, artifacts and enchantments. And then like for the blue matchups, you get cards like silence, which I think is just phenomenal. I don't know, um, you know, maybe like the storm cabal could speak up on this, but uh, silence has just, it just has felt very good. One mana, him to Torok, um, that, or, you know, they just end up dying. Let's you play through abrupt decays, surgical extractions, pretty much anything that you could be worried about, even like disenchants if your opponent brings them in. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's my take on the deck. I played it a bunch. I mean, day one, I went like one and six or one and seven with the deck. Maybe like two and six. I don't know. It, my record was not very good. I also had no idea what I was doing as I was sort of trying to learn the deck on stream. And it's really tough. I'll tell you that much. It is extremely tough. But, you know, over the next few days, definitely like now that I understand like the combos uh, that the deck actually has to, uh, you know, present. So, for example, like, Underworld Breach is actually kind of like a value card too, right? Like, you don't always have to play it with the combo. Like, if you, if you you know, use earlier turns to set up, like, let's say you, like, brain freeze yourself, you get a stacked graveyard, then you can just play under, under, Underworld Breach by itself and just, like, combo off that way. Um, yeah, just, like, a variety of things, basically, that you would only find out by, uh, by playing, uh, playing the deck. Uh, we do mm -hmm. have a video on the Patreon that actually shows, like, how the games play out. So if you are interested, you should check that out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's my take yeah. on that. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. And so you talked about comparing it against kind of Sneak and Show and Storm. For me, the, the biggest, another big point of comparison is Blackbird Reanimator. Like, you mentioned, oh, this is a two-mana spell. But on the other hand, like, you know, Exhum and Animate Dead are also two-mana spells. And arguably what Blackbird is doing is more powerful. But then I think you did list some good reasons for why to play this deck over Reanimator too, which is, you know, with Enlightened Tutor Package, you can find answers more easily. And it's just, it seems like a lot more flexible of a deck where uh, more or less you're able to find your answers in a more easy fashion than Blackbird Reanimator when your deck is still, you know, very vulnerable to Graveyard Hate. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and Force of Will. I totally forgot about Force of Will. Force of Will is such a huge draw to this Yeah, deck. the first thing I noticed uh, when I looked at the Enlightened Tutor was I compared it to like Personal Tutor in Show and Tell because that has never been a thing. Like the one, it's like one blue sorcery search your library for sorcery, put it on top. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I was like, that's like never done that well in show and tell. I'm like 99% sure it's legal in Legacy. And maybe it's because show and tell needs more resources. I mean, show and tell needs like more mana. It needs like a card in hand. Well, th this finds both parts of the combo and it finds answers. If show and tell did that, that or personal tutor did that, like if it found creatures and also like, you know, like, like down spell, I guess. If it was literal um, demonic that, tutor, I guess. Right, like that—that's why it's well, I mean, so the, appealing to me. It's not obviously uh, enlightened tutor is a bit better, but it's also like, I mean, personal tutor could find sorceries that that kill stuff, but um, it's just like that. It's like so bad in the show and tell shell. But I could definitely see like enlightened tutor. But also one thing when it popped out about two mana, like when you used to play storm, you would like when you had an LED and you would go to crack your hand like with Infernal Tutor to actually combo off you generally need like five plus mana like maybe four you can get empty you uh you get five um and for your ad nauseum and you usually need like six to be safe obviously it was different for different storm lifts but you needed like a lot of mana when you cracked your led with the infernal tutor when you have underworld breach the first thing that popped out to me is you only need two mana then you get your breach with the infernal tutor i mean i know this list isn't playing infernal tutor but that was like the first thing i saw when i saw it and with two mana, like, that's so little, you can already start going off. Obviously, like, brain freeze, so it's different. But that, that's the first thing I noticed. Like, you used, to, you used to need to have four plus mana. Then with Echo of Ions, it became three, though Echo had, like, a drawback where your opponent can draw Force of Will. But, like, that, like, I remember when Storm need, used to ha need to have so much mana to go off. And then with Echo, it sort of became, like, wow, they only need three. And now it's sort of become, like, wow, they only need two. Though, obviously, it's maybe that's simplifying it. I don't know exactly how much uh, the breach, you know. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that's definitely, like, a very important uh, aspect, right? Every single mana that you can save in your combo is very critical, regardless of what combo deck you're playing, I think. So, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a thing. Um, there is one thing that I do want to touch on, right? And and that while this deck is, is pretty powerful in terms of what it is able to do, it's also certainly, like, it has its weaknesses, right? Which I think is pretty healthy design, though. I don't know if the power level is so strong yet that the flaws don't, you know, balance the card. But obviously, you're weak to Graveyard Hate. Obviously, you're weak to, like, you know, Underworld Breach being destroyed during the combo, those sort of things, right? And one thing that, uh, you know, 
another really good combo player, Brian Cook, told me was that with these sort of decks, like you really just want to have like backup plans, right? Like, especially for like Storm, I think the easiest one, the easiest backup plan that comes to mind is like Empty the Warrens. For Sneak and Show, it's kind of just like, well, you have both show and tell and sneak attack i don't know if you'd consider sneak attack like a backup plan um but you know it's like a, just like a different angle of attack not not really actually but it's like a different uh it's not just show and tell right there's more to it um i think well, so what's the different angle for this deck you could like sideboard mentor yeah and that's what i haven't exactly figured out yet there's so obviously this deck has only been out for like like a week maybe like a week and a half at the most a week yeah yeah and it's just like there's still so much like room for development to be made for example like what if we played grape shot what if we played mentor what if we played like you know what if we like a transformational sideboard into something like in one of the lists that you mentioned was grixis breach delver right so that's just like delver of secrets days a bunch of creatures and then like a random combo just like smashed in there like that's powerful like you know Mm -hmm. those are the kind of like things that you know i'm really really happy that legacy players are thinking of um but it is certainly like if you do try to pick this deck up not only do you need to get the reps in, but like once you start getting into like messing around with the deck, you need to think about like how to approach post board games and like, you know, just like strategic uh, di- directions and things like that. I guess. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things for combo desk, especially because they're often very good at winning game one, but then post board, uh, when your opponent brings in a lot of hate, one thing you can do, as you mentioned, is basically sidestep it. So I'm definitely interested in the development of this deck. As I mentioned, you know, there are several different variants already floating around. Like Stefan's white version didn't even um, do that well this weekend. But since we talked about it so much, we'll try to put a link to it in the show notes. And also, uh, Anurag did also mention that as a Patreon, as a patron, you can kind of view his video with it. So um, let's go ahead and change topics now. Um, I'm definitely excited to see where this Underworld Breach deck goes. But for now, let's talk about like this uh, discussion that's been going around social media, which is Legacy Grand Prix. Uh, Channel Fireball announced the next batch of Grand Prix, and there are no Legacy ones. Um, there is still hope for a Legacy GP in the later half of this year, uh, but honestly, the locations don't look that great. Some of them are like Thursday Grand Prix, so like they probably have a special release event, like maybe something like a Modern Masters or something for those. So like pretty much the the like unannounced gps like there is a good chance that none of them will be legacy so a lot of people have been kind of you know uh posting on twitter and like being being to wizards like hey why don't we get a gp this year like the attendance has been really good and somehow wizards made the argument that the attendance was not good somehow on reddit so i saw that so it's kind of like they're sort of cherry picking data and being like hey, people aren't showing up to Legacy Grand Prix when in fact it, it really has been the opposite. Yeah, I I saw this and I, I literally like looked at it five times and just like, kind of just like, you know, like when you stare at a wall and like the, the reaction doesn't really click in your head and then suddenly you're just like, whoa. You know, like I just had like that wave of emotion hit me and maybe that's just because I'm really, really, really just like invested in Legacy. Like I've made so many friends through Legacy. I've had so many like memorable I guess memories, memorable memories. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Playing this 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 game, this format that like you're seeing that for for reasons that I can't comprehend. Like it, it's getting okay. Fine, maybe I do get why they're doing it, but just like the reasons that they're telling us that that they're doing it don't make sense to me. And so now I just kind of I feel like I'm a little bit like lost and like helpless almost, which sounds kind of pathetic. I know, but it's just like there's not much that we can do. Actually, there is some stuff that we can do, and we might talk about that, but. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm not a fan and I, and I really do appreciate that a lot of people are speaking up and I think we need to continue speaking up and like, you know, just like let wizards know that like whatever they're doing just needs to like stop like like no like like <laughs> if you're going to like stop legacy like, OK, fine. It's your company. It's your game. You can do whatever you want, but at least be real with us and tell us the real reason. Right. Like, don't try to like be like, oh, you know, legacy performance hasn't been good when literally we had a sixteen hundred person event in Italy, like at the last Grand Prix, congratulations, Andrea Muguchi, your your Grand Prix top eight is now canceled, I guess. Um, but like that's just kind of like what I'm trying to say. Like it's just all like yeah. a hodgepodge, and I just I don't feel comfortable with the presentation of this. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely do feel so, like I definitely sympathize with you. I feel in some ways we had the rug pulled from under us. But that being said, I, I do think Wizards generally responds to pressure on social media. So with so much outrage, like that was the number one response. Like I thought it was really awesome to see the whole community get together and like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess pile on Wizards, which um, to be fair to them, like, you know, they don't have a, an easy job either. But I just think they've done so many things. Um poorly, uh, especially with respect to communication. And here's just kind of another instance where they like, you know, maybe they're trying to accomplish a goal that makes sense, but their reasoning doesn't make sense. And, and for better or for worse, magic players are pretty damn smart and can figure out like when they are being trying to be deceptive. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think there's a good chance we get a legacy GP given how Twitter has responded. But I think, you know, there is a non-zero chance that we get no legacy Grand Prix. Uh, in the future at all, which will definitely be a sad occasion, but uh, we won't know until uh, probably uh, maybe six months from now, so yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, also, I, we got to get our boy Daniel another trophy, you know what I'm saying? So we got to have another Legacy Grand Prix. Yeah, no, but I just thought, I just didn't uh, understand the reason fully because Legacy Grand Prix attendance was so high. I mean, if they had Legacy Grand Prix every weekend, it, it wouldn't be that much every weekend. I think part of the reason the attendance is so high is only one or two a year. I mean, there used to be a few more, but I think, mm-hmm. like, I mean, that's not the only reason, but. I think the sweet spot for Wizards, and it would be awesome for us, too, is if there were one North American GP, one European GP, and one Japanese GP. And I think all three of those events, especially, you know, with SCG canceling Legacy, like, SCG canceling Legacy has made, like, independent events more popular, not less. Like, I believe that GPs are more likely to get um, attendance now. Uh, since SCG canceled Legacy, because, uh, you know, if you're a Legacy player, like, you might have a family or be close to having one, you have less free time, but, like, you can make that one trip a year, and I think, like, they these events will have better turnout because of how rare they are, so I, I really think it's an oversight by Wizards just to cancel it completely, because I really do honestly believe that any Legacy GP from here on out would probably get a 1,000 players um, if not two thousand, so yeah. Uh, Japan too, especially they've they've only had like two thousand player legacy GP tournaments, and those were taken away. So it's just it it doesn't fully make sense to me. Uh, and yeah, hopefully I just wanted to add it doesn't too. make sense because it seems like they're having a lot of problems with GP attendance being so low, and they're trying to find new ways to incentivize people to play the GPs um, with like fractional invites, maybe, and all this stuff. And they're really uh, trying to find a way to get people back because the attendance went so low to four hundred, five hundred. And then cutting the one that had the most attendance, mm-hmm. which would be like the one or two a year free roll. It just didn't make sense to me. So I didn't understand uh, what where it was coming from. So when I when I just saw it, I just like... I, yeah, like I wasn't... Like... I wasn't that upset about by the um, initial Channel Fireball announcement. I was like, oh, maybe they'll have it in the second half of the year. But it was the further Wizards response to that that was like, do they really know what they're talking about, kind of. Um, we also had a, quest- a listener question from Douges on Twitch. Uh, which is related to this, which is kind of with Legacy dropping Legacy, with SEG dropping Legacy and no Legacy GPs announced so far, do you think this will have any effects on this year's North American or European Eternal Weekend? Uh, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's definitely going to be a plus for Eternal Weekend in terms of attendance. For me, like, if there's no Legacy Grand Prix, I am much more incentivized to go to the Eternal Weekend because that sort of becomes the de facto, like, uh, biggest legacy tournament of the year, so I think I think these events should have a pretty good turnout. Um, also, don't also do want to mention the Missouri MTG 20K that's happening. Honor and I will both be there, so come say hi. Uh, that's going to be in on March 21st, I believe. So I, I really do think like these other smaller events are going to get more popular if these other avenues are cut off. So uh, I think what we can do as players is basically kind of to rally around like local uh, tournaments as well as like other different tournament series such as leaving a legacy as well and just continuing to attend and then maybe at some point wizards will be like okay um it, we see the player base is actually there and you know go from there yeah I, I think the big thing like one of the best best examples as to why or, or as to how people react right it's like if you look at the missouri mtg um admission process it's sold out it's sold out like two months in advance and like that is, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where literally like people are like raffling off slots to the event as, 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 as if it was like something like super prestigious, which, which is crazy because like, it's not even close to the Grand Prix level, but people so desperately want to play Legacy that like, 
they're willing to you know make it happen by at like whatever whatever cost or what by whatever means necessary so that's pretty cool there's another tournament that i wanted to shout out as well which is a little bit under the radar but it's going to be a pretty big tournament and this is a tournament being hosted in the northeast i think it's um in may may 16th or something like that it's being hosted by joe brennan the current vintage world champs um for NA, and he's also collaborating with the Bearded Dragon and the only game in town, Togit. So the three of them, those three entities, are coming together to bring a pretty reasonably sized legacy slash vintage tournament. So on Saturday, it's going to be a 40 duels legacy tournament, and on on Sunday, it's going to be a 40 duels vintage tournament with, I think, maybe a PTQ, but don't quote me on that. Uh, it's, it's, It's a modern PTQ, so we'd have to figure out We'd have to get more details from Joe and, and you know, company to, to figure out. But the, the point is, is that, like, like if this becomes, like, the melee of magic where, like, the community is the one that's going to, like, be pushing for tournaments to happen and, you know, pushing for uh, self-sustenance, like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, Watsi should also be very aware that that is the case and, you know, maybe reconsider stepping in. I, I mean, for, for what it's worth, and I'll, I, maybe we like close this topic with this thought, I will give WotC credit where credit is due, okay? They have made mistakes. You know what? That's fine. Like, they, they, they've made mistakes. They've, they've been called out for it. I think it's fine because, like, they've looked back and they've been like, hey, look, guys, we actually messed this one up. Sorry. Here's how we're going to fix it, right? Like, 2019 was, there was a lot of stuff that went wrong. Like, but... I mean, like, Watsi also, like, did what they could to make things right, and I really do appreciate that. That's the one thing that I will say, like, makes me optimistic about the future. It makes me optimistic about, like, the second half of, uh, you know, Grand Prix allotments. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, why don't we go on to our next topic? I think these next couple of topics uh, we might go through uh, a little bit quicker. But I uh, did, did want to touch on the modern bans. I know the last episode, uh, Honor, you were basically asking us, you know, would you ban Oko? And Oko actually did get banned. Uh, but not only was it Oko, it was Oko, uh, which everybody expected. Mox Opal, which was very questionable, but at a very high power level. So nobody was like, oh, that's crazy. And then uh, finally, Mycosynth Lattice, which nobody saw coming at all. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting ban and restricted announcement. What were your initial thoughts, Daniel? Uh, on well, what I wanted happened? to add about the Lattice thing. I think the problem with Karn is much more with Ensnaring Bridge than Lattice. Like, getting lat. Like, I was, I was going to say, like, the reason you're banning Lattice isn't because Lattice is too good. It's because Bridge is too good. Like, getting Lattice, if your opponent could just attack Karn, it wouldn't matter. Like, the problem with Karn is that it gets Bridge, and then creatures don't attack anymore, and then you get Lattice, and the game ends. So I was kind of, like disappointed that they're like going for that instead of bridge like i feel like bridge is like a pretty egregious card to be legal in modern like it's just like a silly card so that that was one thing with opal is kind of uh confused i didn't see it coming so i was like i'll just see how stuff plays out uh and then um with oko i definitely was you know that card had needed to go so uh that was just like the initial uh ban list reaction should i talk about like what like how i what I started playing after or stuff or just just the bands? Uh, up to you, whatever you want. Just like what you're like, I don't know. For me, for me, what my reaction was like, I just totally was not expecting these bands. I think I'm okay with them. I think they did a little bit of deception again when they, they said that the main reason they banned Lattice was for quote-unquote unfun play patterns. And then they alluded to... Uh, basically Tron strategies. I think the real reason they banned Lattice was because Eldrazi Tron uh, had been putting up really, really good numbers outside of Oko. And they kind of maybe saw that that was like the next thing, but they didn't want to go as far as to ban Karn or Tron land. So that's why they, they took like a lesser measure to just weaken Karn. And hopefully they're they're thinking that that, that might be enough. So I'm not sure. I think Eldrazi Tron is still going to be a good deck. <clears throat> it's definitely one of the decks that I'm looking at if I do play Modern. Uh, at the SUG, so uh, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm overall I'm like somewhat happy with the bands. Like I think Mox Opal maybe would need to go eventually, uh, but it definitely did hurt a lot of artifact decks. But people are still telling me that hey, Urza is still playable. Um, it's still a good deck. I mean, Urza the the card itself is just absurdly powerful. So uh, I'm interested to see how Modern develops from here. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I think my thought and like I don't 
know too much about modern right but that's like the the the, the, the lattice band feels something like the Gitaxi and probe band and legacy right something that was just totally like not on anyone's radar but a couple people are like wow this card is pretty dumb and like i don't know that that's one of the things that like where watsi was just like i i i commend watsi for for that kind of band so i i feel like the same way just from as like an outsider like thinking about it i'm just like well does micah synth lattice actually do anything like, do you guys think it does anything yeah. healthy for like, I actually, I, I think it's pretty different for Probe. Like, I think it just makes games end quicker once they have their win con down, so you don't have to, like, sit there while Tron slowly beats you. Like, I think it's really just Bridge. Like, like the reason Karn is too strong is because of Bridge. Lattice is just, like, this random card that ends the game. It's obviously very powerful. But without Bridge, it, I think I think that's the real issue. And I don't think... It's not, like, healthy or unhealthy, but it helps games end much quicker, which I think is nice, rather than slowly getting... Like, it can prevent draws and stuff like that, even though that sounds kind of uh, silly. Mm -hmm. I do, like... Well, so, so you mentioned it in Staring Bridge, but the, I think because they banned Mox Opal, there are very few... Like, I think the best in Staring Bridge decks were also Mox Opal decks. So I, I really don't think in Staring Bridge will be that good anymore. I still think Eldrazi Tron is probably the best shell for in Staring Bridge. Um, but I, I really don't see, like, you know, like, the Grixis War deck, like... Those decks really relied on Mox Opal to kind of like have more explosive draws to keep up with the really fast aggro decks. And I think they're just like, you know, probably a step too slow. Uh, yeah, it's more just, it's not like that bridge is like too strong. Like if you compare bridge to Oko, it's just way worse of a card than, than Oko or like a lot of 2019 cards. But it's just like more of a card, more similar to Probe that just like shouldn't sort of exist. And it still does exist with Karn. I mean, it makes, makes Karn a lot worse that it can't just end the game. Um, but. And there's not going to be as many obvious mm -hmm. places to play Bridge. But, I mean, some people have still been playing Urza, but it's more just, like, I don't think, like, Bridge is, like, that great of a card to exist. I mean, some people might disagree. Maybe there's a good argument. But it's just, like, uh, I feel like a really un unenjoyable card. And I'm somebody who's played Lantern, and I like that deck a lot, so. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, banning Mox Opal just hit so many decks. Like, it hit Scales, Lantern, were, uh Grixis were, as well as, like, the Chalice were deck. Um, so, like, a lot of decks were pushed out by Oko, and you're like, maybe they'll come back. Yeah, like, where I saw the meta going is, like, <laughs> uh, the the obvious deck people are are hyping up now is, like, t Primeval Titan decks. Um, but the Primeval Titan mm -hmm. decks, they kind of need a lot of resources, and they don't play that much removal in their deck. So if you play, like, aggressive creature decks, like Devoted Druid, or, I don't know, not, like, maybe something, like, around sort of what Infect's doing, maybe Infect or... Like, Burn's not as good against the Druid decks, um, but Death Shadow can also be pretty effective against the Titan decks, because once you know that you're gunning for Titan, you can really gun for them. And then decks like uh, Blue Moon can become can make resurgence, though they're really weak against decks like Dredge, but Blue Moon's pretty good against creature decks, except for Burned. It's not great against Burn, and it's, like, pretty good. It gets to naturally have Blood Moon against the Titan decks, though the deck kind of has some of its own issues, just having, like, bad spells in its deck, and it's really bad against Dredge. So, like, the first deck I picked up to try was Devoted Druid, just because I thought it's, like, it's, like, a turn two combo deck. Like, when you have Simeon Spirit Guide, it's actually pretty consistent, because when you untap with Devoted Druid, you can mm -hmm. kill very easily, and you've just played a bunch of, I've just played a bunch of Spirit Guides, and then, uh, you're, like, okay against, you know, some interaction, and you can play Makers of the Moon, so you can get, like, even if you stumble a bit, you can get, like, that get-out-of-jail-free uh, card against the Ant, like, various Titan decks at times. So that's the first deck I tried, and I was doing decently with it, though I could definitely see it just not being a great deck, because it's, like, pretty mopey if they have a removal spell at times. Um, and so I could see it not being great, but it, it's kind of hard to know. And then I was thinking about decks like Blue-White, but I didn't think they'd be great against Titan decks or Dredge. And, like, decks like Dredge, they're not great against uh, Amulet decks, and, like, the combo decks, I don't like them that much. And, like, Shadow, it's just, I just... I don't like Shadow that much mm -hmm. either. So, so that's why I was kind of like with yeah. Druid, and I didn't really want to play Amulet because then I felt like I'm, not, I'm not that good against like it's just not that good at interacting, and they're kind of like really heavy on the top. So that's why I kind of like Druid. Like that's kind of what I was looking at, but I could definitely see it just not being a good deck. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So you played some Druid and you had good results, and then you kind of put it down and started testing. Yeah, I like that. Right when the band announcement, like I was doing like pretty well in leaks, but also, like, you can't really tell that much how good they are. Like, I think I also did decently in a prelim. Like, I went 4-1 losing to Gruul, uh, which was kind of funny, like, mm -hmm. the Gruul mid-range deck. And I was doing, like, yeah, uh, like I was doing looks funny. pretty well, but also I felt like I was, like, drawing pretty well and stuff, and yeah, then I just started uh, testing limited, after, like, when the set came out. Gotcha. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to explore with, kind of, basically a new modern format, given they banned some of the best cards. 
Um, but they did they did not ban Once Upon a Time, and I, I just thought that was a big mistake. Like they just made a bunch of design mistakes in 2019, and they should have just corrected them sooner rather than later. Like I think most of these design mistakes uh, might be okay for Legacy, but in a format like Modern, like Once Upon a Time, I think is just going to dominate. It's gonna it's in all these Titan decks. Eldrazi Tron basically is moving towards playing it too. It's you know really good in Druid decks. In fact, uh, Neoform. It's just going to be the next card that's getting banned, and I don't think it's Yeah, I was actually at the Grand Prix that's in Toronto where I live. That's in May. It's modern, and I was telling my friends, I'm like, do you think, I I think Once Upon a Time is going to be banned by them. I'm going to need to find a new deck. Like, I definitely agree with that. It's like a very egregious card, and it's also just like kind of silly. Like, it just makes all the goldfish decks way more consistent. It lets you like cheat on lands. Like, I was even playing it in the Crabvine decks Mm because it's basically like free land in the opening hand almost. So it lets you like, uh, have more it doesn't mean you can cut lands as much well you can do that but it also just means that you just keep more hands because now you have once upon a time which counts as a land like it just gives you consistency and power at the same time like it gives you power or it gives you speed by letting you goldfish more find your best cards more and it gives you consistently consistency by letting you keep your bet uh your best um by letting you keep more hands though obviously it's, sometimes it's not great if you draw it but uh yeah that's that's how i see it like it just mm-hmm. i definitely think it'll probably get banned too yeah yeah let's uh let's move on in somewhat related topic let's talk about kind of like a couple more theros cards that you guys are excited about that maybe we haven't touched on yet so uh one one card that definitely stood out to me was dryad of the elysian grove it's a three mana two four uh, and it also has basically exploration plus prismatic omen so you get to play an extra land per turn and you have all of the non-basic lands uh, or sorry, all of the basic, all your lands have every basic land type. So it basically supercharges a card like Valakut, where you can literally, with no other cards, you can play Dryad of the Elysian Grove, play Valakut, and then next turn, like, your fetch lands is, like, double bolt. So it's just extremely powerful with Valakut. I think it's going to see a ton of play uh, in Modern, and I think in Legacy it has a lot of applications too. Like, I know Matthew Vuk played a Sultai plug deck that also had Dryad of the Elysian Grove, I think, like, this kind of card in lands or some kind of loam shell makes a ton of sense. So I definitely think this is one of the more powerful cards that have been printed, uh, especially for eternal formats. Um, what do you guys think about this card? I think Jarvis played this card in a blue green, uh, like lands, like lands deck with field of the dead, um, which is kind of exciting. I don't know if he did too well, but I mean, the fact that you would even consider it, you know, like Jarvis use opinion on anything that works in lands is he's a very like lean cut machine. So the fact that he thought that this could potentially work says a lot. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I personally would probably never touch this card, you know, with a thousand within a thousand years, something really weird would have to happen. But I, I do like the, the design of the card. I think it's pretty cool and enables a lot of powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can green sun zenith for it, so it can kind of like be easier to find. And in modern, you can summon nurse pack for it, so it kind of adds that redundancy. But I think it's like an interesting card where they're like kind of pushing creatures. But one thing that I like, they what they always do to push creatures is they always add these like broken enter the battlefield abilities, or they make them like you know like gods, so they're indestructible, so you can't touch them. But this is a creature that's like the abilities are so powerful that uh, it doesn't really have an ETB. Like it has exploration, so that's almost an ETB. Uh, but on the other hand, like exploration is just so much more powerful at one mana than three mana. So uh, I'm kind of interested to see like where this card goes and how it evolves. Wait, are you looking at the card right now? Uh, I am. Do you look at the picture in the background? Right, there's like a like a temple. Mm-hmm. Is that the temple that the ancestral recall art has? I don't know ancestral recall art well enough. It's definitely a temple. I assume it's just a generic Theros temple rather than like the very first Ancestral Recall Temple. Okay, well, I, I'm looking at the... If you guys let me know, any of the listeners, uh, if you look at the artwork for this card... Uh, we should be an MTG art podcast next. Nice. Oh, we'll cancel after episode two and just go straight into the artwork. Uh, speaking of well, artwork, I, I though... I think some of the art was, like, pretty sweet in this set. Oh, dang. Yeah. For, the, for the frames. Um, but, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Bring back the old frames. Um, but speaking of sweet art, I wanted to talk about another really cool card... Uh, that got printed in this set, which is Ox of Agonis, which is a five mana, three red, red ox, to no one's surprise. 
And it's a 4-2 that, uh, you know, has ETB discard your hand and draw three cards. But it also has escape for red-red. And I think this is much more exciting. It has escape for red-red with an additional cost of exiling eight other cards from your graveyard. Do you, do, do, I'm getting flashbacks, like painful flashbacks, to a certain card that is now banned in Legacy. You guys are thinking the same thing too, right? Treasure I cruise? know what you're thinking, <laughs> and I disagree. I'm just saying, like, the last time Draw Three Cards was printed on, like, a, a reasonably playable card that also had Delve, like, the format just completely, like, imploded it, it, on itself, yeah. and we know... Well, isn't Bedlam Reveler, like, way better in most decks that aren't, like, Dredge? Yeah, Bed- Bedlam Reveler is a much closer comparison than Treasure Cruise, Honor. Come on, you have to discard your hand. Do you realize how bad that is? That's good in one deck. It's good in Dredge. Okay, well, actually, here's the truth, right? I actually think this escape mechanism is extremely well-designed, um... And I'll tell you why, right? So I've been playing the Breach deck a bunch, and, like, Escape is a really, really difficult thing to manage in this deck. And what I've noticed is that, like, a lot of the times, like, with these the most busted cards in Magic, part of the reason that they're so busted is that you can, like, if you get to play four copies of Treasure Cruise and you just, like, thought scour yourself a bunch, you're going to be casting it, like, a bunch, right? Whereas I think Escape Mechanism is a lot harder to sort of, like... I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe I, maybe thought scour is not the best way to put it, but, like, in general, like, fetching, probing, cantripping, like escaping for that sort of stuff is a lot harder than just like delving is that is that a dumb thing to say well I, it's similar the the difference with escape versus delve is delve you delve it and you cast it from your hand escape you need to also put it in your graveyard so it's much more synergistic with decks like dredge that are already putting cards in their graveyard mm-hmm. uh so i mean there's some escape cards you know like elspeth where you plan on play it playing it it dies and then you escape it later yeah but a lot of the the more powerful ones uh you really need an engine to get it going so i can see ox in like some sort of dredge deck in modern it's definitely really good there yeah. um i could potentially see it in like an arc like phoenix deck in legacy but i think maybe the format's power level has grown so so far that like I don't really see Ox in Legacy at all. Oh, this is why Escape has been much better than Delve. Is because Delve you can part, you can like use Delve as a partial cost, right? Like Treasure Cruise could be like four mana in play plus four cards in your graveyard, whereas Ox of Agonis is exactly it has to be eight other cards from your graveyard every time you cast it, which is definitely much harder than just having like seven as like a Delve cost, right? You I mean, you also I mean? Mm-hmm. so that definitely you also need to put it in sure. your graveyard. Like it just that's so. That's a lot of hoops to jump through compared to just casting it, you know, from your hand. Obviously, in some ways, that's, like, free value if you're playing, like, a self-mill deck. But if you're playing a normal deck like Blue Red Delver, it's not easy to just put a card like Ox of Agonis in your graveyard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to lie, actually. I I did play against... um, uh, I I played against this card in Legacy, and it was actually against Dredge. But I didn't really get a good sample of how good it was. Um, because it was just like stuck in my opponent's hand and they were never able to cast it. But the innovation that I did see in the dredge deck is that this guy was playing Polluted Delta and Volcanic Island, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, talking to most dredge players, like two mana spells just don't work in that deck because you play like 12 or 13 lands. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you play Lotus Petals, but for the most part, you don't want to play a single two well, mana spell it off in that deck. Like there are other really powerful effects that dredge is not even playing. Yeah, you'd so. have to mostly cast it off LED. I mean... Uh, I could I could see one maybe I've actually played a bit of Dredge and Legacy, but uh, it, it's pretty intense with Cephalid Colosseum for sure, which is a card that you just want to play four of, and it's a pretty similar card. Uh, obviously, it's land, so you it, you can't just mill it into graveyard, but it definitely has some tension with the Colosseum. Like the the most I would see using this is in conjunction with LED is kind of like a an extra faceless looting in a in a way. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think we should wrap up here. Uh, I know, like, basically, Daniel and I, were, we're going to be preparing for SEG Richmond, so I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about, you know, all three formats. We haven't really covered Pioneer that much on this podcast yet, but we're definitely going to cover it next time. So I think we can kind of wrap it up here. Okay, yeah, thanks. Uh, on that note, guys, you know where to find us on Twitter, at Elo Punters, and then also check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash elopunters. And also massive shout out to Liz, our editor. Be sure to support her as well. We really appreciate everything that you guys are doing for us and listening and, and supporting us. We'll catch you for the next episode. Bye. Bye, guys. Okay.